Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You're telling me, producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a lot of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We covered a lot of great movies that were adapted from other material in season 10. Our originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals is where listeners can purchase the source material behind all our adapted film discussions. It helps support the show at no extra cost when you buy through our links. In our foreign language Best Picture nominees series, we looked at several adaptations, including Z, The Postman Il Postino, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Letters from Iwo Jima. We hit the high seas with In the Heart of the Sea from Nathaniel Philbrick's nonfiction book for our Aquatic Killers series. Eh, definitely a weaker entry in that series. I bet the book is better. Oh, me too. Member bonus episodes featured adaptations like Gone Girl, The Russia House, Ivanhoe, The Hot Rock, The Big Heat, and Naked Lunch. Oliver Stone brought not just original stories, but also adaptations like Conan the Barbarian, Scarface, Year of the Dragon, Eight Million Ways to Die, Talk Radio, and Born on the Fourth of July. Mary Heron's disturbingly insightful American Psycho was adapted from the Brett Easton Ellis book. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh my God, it even has a watermark. And of course, more Stephen King with The Mist, The Green Mile, and The Shawshank Redemption for our King a la Darabont series. Find links to all of these books and more adapted films on our Originals page. That's thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports our show. Get the full list of books that we've talked about and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Parasite is over. Time for the free extermination. 
네가 내 대신 얘 과외 선생님 좀 해줘라 영어 대학생인 척하라는 거야? 구라를 좀 치지 뭐넌이 좋은 실력으로 왜 미대는 맨날 떨어지냐 아이씨 죽을래 저는 이게 위조나 범죄라고 생각하지 않아요 참으로 시적절하다 기자들이 원래 참잘 속아 사모님이 뭐랄까 풀타임으로 수업 어떻게 하시는지 이제 저 개비디우? 우리 다성이는 완전 예술가지 질인데 침팬지를 그린 거죠? 자화상이에요 아 잠깐 제시카 외동딸 일리노이 시카고 과선배는 김치 먹는 이사촌 앤디 If you were uh, looking to actually get your extermination and you wanted to see what other exterminators do, where do you where do you start? Like if you really want to see them in action. I would head over to the instagram.com slash the next reel. Oh, so they can see some in some exterminators in action. I hope you're really having up this week. It's it's a month of monthly series of Exterminators in action. Different companies and how they operate when they're performing their It's exterminations. Straight up, over and over. It's just exterminators in film. <laughs> that is going to be. There that has to be a list choice for this week enough. on the Saturday matinee. Exterminators in film. Uh, seriously, though, what do we what do we ask people to do? Heading over to uh, Instagram.com slash the next reel. What are we posting right now? We're posting, uh, you know, all sorts of things related to the movies that we're talking about. On this show, we're talking about uh, we're doing posters, we're doing reviews, we're posting images of the actors, uh, quote from the movie, uh, quote from the director. You know, just there's a lot of different posts that we're posting over there. And uh, then we're also posting uh, different things for all, all of our other shows. So there's a variety of things that people can see when they head to Instagram.com slash the next reel. Parasite, Andy. Bong Joon-ho. Oh, director Bong. We're back. How, I, how I've missed you. Yeah, right? Oh, it's been too long. Uh, this is a relief that we actually are able to talk about this movie. It was one of my very favorite movies from uh, last year. I love it. Uh, it's just it cat's out of the bag. I love it. Uh, and it, it has been a, a, a hole filled with sorrow that after our Bong Joon-ho series, we were not able to get this in more quickly. I am so glad that we have this excuse to, to get this in here in our Foreign Film Best Picture nominees series. Uh, well, I feel like it's part of the reason that we <laughs> ended up creating yeah, right. this series, just so <laughs> we could, we could find a way to work dog. this one in. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? It's it, I'm glad we did, because we have talked about a lot of great films, and uh, it was an interesting exploration to kind of watch through, as I did, all of the films nominated for Best Picture and Best uh, Foreign Language Film, or in the case of this year, Best International Feature Film. Um, for all of the years that films had been nominated for Best Picture. Um, and so it was a really interesting exploration to just kind of see how things have changed from the early days of the Oscars up through now. Was this year, did, did 2019 mark uh, any sort of substantial change in the awards landscape since, again, you watched them all? You know, I, I don't know if I would say that it was like a big change in the awards landscape, um, but I, I would say that 
when you look at the films nominated specifically for uh, for Best Picture that happened to be foreign language films, this one is really kind of the first genre film, I guess I would call it, right? This is kind of a, a thriller is what we have here that happens to have a lot of uh, themes about uh, uh, class and social structures. Um, but I feel like there was a shift in kind of just the culture, and you see that quite a bit how things fluctuate of what people are pushing for best picture. And just a few years before the shape of water one, mm-hmm. I just feel like there, there was this, this shift that kind of got us to this point where we had uh, a really fascinating genre film. That is the one that ended up taking home the prize. Bong Joon-ho, he says that he never intended. And and I think it might be lost in, in, in translation that he never intends to create a propaganda film, he says. He says, I don't think about these kinds of issues as presented in this movie uh, on a day-to-day basis. I think the issue of class surrounds us in our everyday lives. There are people we can see in our real lives. It, it was a very natural story to tell. He compares this to uh, films like Us and Shoplifters. Uh, and uh, he says, we just we all live in this capitalistic system. This is what we see every day. Wh- whatever class you're in, you're seeing it from that perspective. It's just an easy story to tell. Um, what do you think? Is this a propaganda film? Well, I, I don't think it's propaganda, but uh, I do think that it is something that he really enjoys telling stories that deal with class and structure and the way that he bring, brings these themes of kind of capitalism and such into what we've been seeing his output over the last few years, like Snowpiercer was all about class. There was such all an interesting class. class spread across that train. Uh, Okja was a really interesting one about capitalism and mm-hmm. the whole industry of making food and, 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 and that whole process. Uh, not to mention media and, uh, you know, political things. There's just a lot of interesting things going on in that one, which was, I would say, more of a flawed film, but still interesting. And then you get to this one, and I think that there is so much about the way that he plays with class structure and uh, the whole idea of parasitism and and just kind of creating this, this look of how people feed off of each other in different ways. And I just, I found it to be, uh, you know, really smartly put together. But I would never say it's propaganda. I would say he is telling a really creative story by using these themes. He's blending it in, uh, and it just makes the film that much better. But I, I don't think it's like intentionally just propaganda. In in Korean, he says the the word has a different connotation than it does in English speaking countries. He said marketing really confused things uh, because in Korean, the the word "chisengmo" has a, a much darker, like riskier, more threatening term. If you look it up, and it it's like even I think uh, a predator is is one of the names or one of the definitions, and and so I think that that really does change kind of the way you look at the film in English speaking countries. He said, you know, everybody had seen. who had seen the host and knew my work, thought that this was the sequel to the host. I'm one of those people. When I first saw the trailer, I watched this thing. I was like, oh, 
they're hiding the monster. That's great. It's going to be a great surprise <laughs> when I finally see the monster. I'm up in the basement. Uh, and that was not the story I, I got at all. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think it's, it is fascinating how well this movie performed here, um, just in terms of, the, of being able to wade into the cultural zeitgeist of classism in film um, and, and have such an, an interesting story to tell in in terms of the title like you you say that it's the it's that the the parasite can go both directions uh and you know it's not just the poor family or the layers of poor families leeching off of the wealth above them uh you know the the wealthy people are leeching off of of the labor of the people who work for them as well and um um you know, we get to see the way that that plays out. And in some cases, you know, in spite of their best sort of behavior, they they do things, they say things, they they act in a way that is is like just kind of gross, disrespectful. And uh, and I think he does an incredible job of portraying, you know, what well-meaning wealth actually looks like in practice. Yeah, it, it's it's actually really interesting. I, I found the um, the son's reaction. um when it's the birthday party, when they're having the son's birthday party, uh, kind of the, the last minute birthday party at their house, and he is looking out of the daughter's room with uh, with her, and he's just commenting on how, you know, everything, everyone just looks so nice. It just, it looks so easy, and it's just like, it just the way that his view of it all just comes across, I thought was uh, just really, in, that was an insightful moment in just the way that you kind of uh, you know, as he's looking through the window and just kind of seeing this this difference in that easy richness, you know, that that these people have. What do you think of the son? He's kind of the anchor, right? He's our first instigator. He's the he's uh, Bong says that he has Ripley syndrome. Yeah, it's, right. You're thinking of talented Mr. Ripley, but there's Ripley's game. Right. There's a whole like she has like three or four books. Um, and it, they they've there have been a number of films uh, about it, patients can't stop lying about and uh, and believe that they're uh, they believe in their lives themselves. In extreme cases, they commit crimes inspired by or motivated motivated by their lies. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I well, he, I mean, he's a very interesting one that I do think has that like the way that he. But I, I think a lot of it is there's this natural sense that he understands situations and he's able to kind of. Uh, you see him playing out. This is uh, uh, Wu, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who is the way that uh, right out of the gate when they are making the pizza boxes and the pizza lady is upset that they folded them wrong and is going to dock their money and all that sort of stuff. Mom just like starts going off on her. But he instantly comes in and, and placates her. And he's like, oh, no, we're so sorry. We'll take the pay cut. We understand. And But, you know, maybe we could, uh, you know, you're looking for more workers. And, like, the way that he is able to spin things, like, he sees the need and is able to kind of twist things and find a way in through that. And it works when he's uh, doing that. He Obviously, it works when he's talking to um, uh, uh, the rich mom and kind of twisting things to get his sister a job and then the kind of their whole thing. Um, it interestingly doesn't work when they're talking to the first housekeeper when she comes back because he yeah. starts trying to do that with her and she's just like, uh-uh, you're not going to do that. So I, I do think that there is some element to that, especially the way that with his friend Min, how he kind of almost steps into that role. And Min had talked about how he, you know, this girl, this daughter, uh, he really liked her, and 
um, doesn't want to give her up to anyone else because he doesn't trust them, but he trusts Wu, um, which is funny because uh, Wu basically becomes Min and, and totally falls for the girl and then starts talking about these fantasies of marrying her and and all of this. So it it is really interesting how he starts kind of putting himself into his friend's shoes and kind of inhabiting that role. He really does. And and I think he he plays it. I mean, clearly he is intelligent, right? The whole family is is quite intelligent and uh, it just in, it, in measured uh, of craftiness, right? <laughs> like they yeah. are just they're very smart. But he is is one that that, you know, they demonstrate early when in his conversations with men that men comes to him as a friend because he believes he's able to, you know, pull this off. It's not like this is any of this is lost on on men. What he's asking his friend to do, his friend is an uncredentialed, not formally educated in in teaching English. He's asking his friend straight up to cheat, right? To yeah. to lie, to do this. He's saying, "I need you to take on this role and do this," right? So everything starts with with that that move. And so when he goes over to the house. I was trying to put myself back in in the position of having never seen the movie when he goes over to the house and then says, you know, oh, you know, I should talk to you about Jessica. Yeah, I I just I still sort of have chills at what I just feel like he Bong is able to telegraph there by having him do that, having him say that line to her. The entire film sort of unravels. Uh, before you, right? Now I know, I, I have a sense of what's going to happen, this like nested doll of dis- duplicity. Yeah. Um, I just don't know how they're going to get there. And it, it just makes it like he is the fuse that lights this film uh, on fire for me. And and the way that it unfolds, I think that uh, Bong is just a master at how he crafts that and how it's just this this constant role that you're just watching and you're just like i can't believe that they're pulling this off this is nuts and what's funny though is that they're all actually pretty good at their roles right i mean that's the thing it's like they actually like he i mean i he's obviously screwing around with the daughter and that's not so good for the english teaching side but when he is actually teaching english (laughs) he seems like he's doing a pretty good job he's doing all right the sister he fooled me and i already speak english (laughs) exactly the sister (laughs) like the the and i know she's like she just faked it she just read some stuff on google and is just kind of faking it but she actually seems like she's doing some interesting therapy with the son and it seems like it could be working (laughs) so what is that a a statement on right like they're doing you know dad see it's easier for me to look at dad because he was for a time, clearly a driver, right? He is a right. he's a demonstrably proficient in in driving these cars and and knowing the roads and all of that. Uh, so to have him kind of sneak in here and and replace driver Yoon um, and actually do a good job at it wasn't a surprise to me. Like if they just if they just could you know act civil for a little while. They could have ridden this out, you know? <laughs> well, and, and, okay. and that's what's funny is it's like, other than the fact that they are creating situations in order to get, like, other people fired so that they can get yes. the jobs. I mean, there's really nothing wrong with getting his sister hired. I mean, she's doing a good job in the role. I mean, she's not, you know, as I said, she's not somebody that is trained or anything, but she seems to be doing a good job. And what's <laughs> what's interesting is that just like the the whole idea of of these people is like 
they weren't born poor, right? Mom was like an Olympic athlete an or something. <laughs> like she has her medal hanging up. She's a she's a shot put person. Dad, they they talked about businesses that they had run that had just fallen apart because of, you know, that's how things go sometimes. Yeah. And it's the same conversation that the the first housekeeper has with her husband who is in the bunker, how they also had had a failed cake company. And it's just like they're they're just just like the rich people, it's just life didn't go their way and they ended up where they are. And I find that to be really interesting. And and here they are, like now, just because of the way society is, the society has put them in the basement. They're in the lowest possible yeah. apartment at the bottom of the longest stairs leading to, you know, the the you know, sewer apartments. And they that's they just have to live that way. And and you can see how it's changed the way that they think and everything. Just they're they're looking for free internet. They're taking the the whatever little jobs they can just to get stuff done. And uh I, I just find it really fascinating how they had the potential to be something more and and just the way things went, they didn't end up there. And and then you have the rich family and it's just like you know, mom is a dingling. She doesn't know how to do anything. And dad just happens to, you know, he's he has had some success with his little innovations and stuff. And so he, they're just like living high in the hog. And, um, and you know, mom is just able to kind of kind of float through just doing what she can to kind of fake taking care of everything. And so it's it's really interesting how they could, because of the way that the parasitic feeding happens, um, like they could all very easily end up in the other spots. It's just that they're not. It's it's uh, really, really yeah. interesting. I I love just how much of an advocate you are for uh, the daughter's work as an art therapist, <laughs> uh, because I, I I think that um, your kids are on the right track. I think that where, wherever you put them, they're going to be fine. <laughs> uh, this is it, it is interesting though, and I think it it. It makes me think about like what Bong is saying, if anything at all, about uh, sort of the practice of at-home tutoring and, in this case, therapy. Like they, he straight up lampoons art therapy by having the mother and the the you know the daughter and the son in an extended scene have this conversation about you know the art that her son is doing the self portrait like they mm-hmm. are none of them are qualified to talk about any of this <laughs> and they talk about it so seriously it is uh, like it it answers its own joke like it is it is hard. It, it, you know he is not taking this stuff seriously at all and um you know what we have in the mom and dad who demonstrate proficiency in their work the kids do not have that and i think there's a message there uh you know that bong is is sending about just you know what it means what qualification is what does it mean um to you know to to actually be of service to someone else and and what do you what does it require of you to to be of service to someone else and that's I find that so interesting because like they go to all this work to make fake uh, to make him a fake diploma, yeah. And then when he's there, mom's just like, oh, I don't even I don't care, care about, about those papers. things. And then later, dad, like you know, he, when <laughs> I love when uh, when Song Kang Ho pulls out the business card and is like, oh, you might maybe I'll, I'll pass this to you and you can pretend that you found yeah. it to give to your wife for the right. the the quote uh, housekeeper company. Uh, dad, he's the only thing that he cares about is like, 
oh, they must be a good company. This paper is really nice. I know. Really nice design. Like that's his sell for, for yeah. buying into the fact that this must be a good company. It does, the superficiality, like lessons or observations on superficiality are rampant in here. And it's just, it's just wonderful. But then in terms of artifacts, the, the artifact with the greatest sort of sense of history is introduced for us in the opening sort of sequence when we meet yeah. Min, right? When he right. brings the scholar's rock, the susok, he brings into their house as a gift to them. And I've never quite been able to rationalize why this is something like this is a this is an artifact of merit right this is an artifact of of um honor right these things have been around um created for the last 3000 years and uh they're they're great big ones and there are little tiny ones and then these that sit on the desk are are the honorifics you know good enough for scholars right the revered scholars and here min is bringing this thing into their house in their basement house in in the slums, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've always struggled just a little bit about the nature of their relationship, of men's relationship and the family's relationship when the dad says, you know, thank your grandfather for us. Like, what what is that relationship that this artifact would find such a natural home for them? Well, and that's what I think is interesting because clearly, and for me, it just sets up a really interesting backstory. And it's enough mm-hmm. of a hint of the backstory. I don't need it all spelled out, but we get it. We get her Olympic uh, time. We get the sense that they had been business people that just failed and stuff. And so I felt like they were people like that, you know, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, there's an Olympian in the family. I feel like there's some status there, right? And right. I feel like Min's family knew his family. And, uh, you know, Min's family obviously was doing okay. Um, and and I, I feel like when his grandfather was, you know, when they had found that and stuff, is just like, oh, give it to them. And I yeah. just like, maybe they knew that they had hit some troubled times and was like, you know, this might be something that kind of can help them yeah. turn it around and stuff. And so I just, I felt like there was an interesting story there. And I really liked the fact that that was in there because of that. It just, it helped kind of, you know, give me a little more sense of that world building without having to spell it all out. Well, and if you look at that rock as sort of the artifact of progress, right? Like if mm-hmm. that thing means what it what it means, right? It's this, this just sort of honorific of achievement. Uh, and they and say then, this is meant to promise wealth specifically. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, and so he, uh, you know, that rock like moves through the story and eventually ends up at their at the park's house and becomes the sort of liberating weapon that gets Bunker Boy out of the ba- sub basement. Mm-hmm. Right. And and turns the whole sort of final act of, of violence. And, uh, and and so it's just interesting that it it moves from the 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 grandfather as a symbol of achievement it's given to the to you know uh the the family in the sub basement and then or in their their tenement and then it makes its way to someone that is even lower than them in status and becomes a key to help get him up back into the air again and then at the very end it ends up in the bottom of a creek <laughs> Bottom of a creek, right, right. Like, Ultimate value, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. It's just another rock in the bottom of a stream. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, it's it's interesting the way that it does kind of flow. And and that is something that I think um, Bong Joon-ho is smart with the way that he has elements like that that follow that you can follow through the film and the way that it moves through and these these items that become of import as they as they do move and and what uh, what they represent when certain people uh, come into contact with them I find that really interesting. And uh, it's in a film that there are a lot of divisions, like a lot of lines drawn, sometimes quite literally, between classes. And uh, I mean, certainly um, the park dad talks about it all the time about, you know, don't he, he always comes close, close to crossing the line, but never quite does. You know, he's like, he talks about that a lot in this film. Um, it, it's, it's, it's an item that seems like it should be part of <laughs> the Park family rather than the Kim family, right? It just seems like it has that place. So it's an interesting yeah. element in this whole story about crossing lines and stuff and these different different social classes. It, it seems like it's an interesting element that's with the wrong family. <laughs> it, totally. Uh, Bong Joon-ho, when asked about, you know, these kinds of symbols, codes and symbols, because we have the Morse code bit at the end, um, uh, and and he indicates that, yeah, I think the Scholar's Rock is one that's interesting to see. But then he says, if you follow the blade, the knife at the end, if you follow whose hands the knife ends up in, it connects to the theme of the film as well. There, There is one moment, says Bong, in the film where the knife breaks through boundaries. All hmm. I can figure out is that that boundary is Mr. Park's chest. <laughs> Well, but he creates these boundaries. Like if you watch the film, you'll see a lot of lines, often yeah. vertical lines between the different classes. Like the first time that I notice it is when uh, the son comes to the house for his interview and the the housekeeper has to go wake mom up, who's kind of sleeping at the table outside. And he's looking out of the window, which is like a corner window. And the, the two pieces of glass have a, a seam between right. them. And... The housekeeper's on the left, mom is on the right, and the housekeeper has to dart across the line real quick, clap her hands next to mom's head, and then back across the line real quick um, to kind of wake mom up. Really just clever moments like that. And so it does make me wonder, is there something, a point where we see the knife in someone's hand and it does go across from one side to the other? Because I'm assuming that he's meaning not just at the very end of the film when the knife is in play, but throughout the film? Because is it the same knife mom uses when she's cutting the meat to make the Ramdan? I wonder. I was actually wondering that very thing. And until I read that quote, I hadn't gone back and traced the knife. Uh, yeah. So, because it's, it is a lovely knife, a little uh, Henkel's action, German mm. treatment. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think it's a, it is a fascinating um, uh, little trick. And when you watch the knife, I mean, it doesn't go anywhere after the end uh, scene where it ends up yeah. in Mr. Park. Um, but it, it does give us that opportunity as they come so close to one another. And I think that's, that may be the first time in the film that they actually physically touch um in in the movie and no, maybe not maybe earlier in the in the party i think when they're behind the bushes we might have a, a physical moment of physical contact between the two but it's i don't sparse. think so because i feel like they're always well maybe maybe he does put his hand on his shoulder on his, when yeah, he says shoulder you know hey don't forget you're we're paying you overtime like yeah, that whole right. conversation that he has with right. him. It's possible that well, he, yeah. Well, just, and, and isn't that interesting, that just on the cusp of having kind of a human conversation between the two, he says, we're paying you, please don't. Yeah. 
whatever yeah. you're about to do. Like we all the the trappings of a relationship between you and me, it's artifice. Yeah, right. Right. So uh do your job. Yeah, you we're paying you to be silly right now and do yeah, this right. whole routine. He also is perseverating, Mr. Park, on stench, on the smell of <laughs> yes. everything. And and Bong makes an interesting point when he says that um uh Bong says it's rare for rich and poor to be so close together to one another that they, they can smell one another. Uh right, which is I, I think a, a fascinating play on on the theme of of the way classes interact just in general, but the fact that the entire family, as they make their way uh, climbing the ladder again, all has the same sort of stench, and that becomes a thread that the parks are able to sort of pull on, uh, I think is really fascinating. And it kind of culminates, at least it it peaks, I'll say, in, in this sex scene, which is less an exercise in eroticism than it is in really hammering home the fact that this is rich body, poor body scent experience. And uh, uh, and I think he's, you know, he, he's really playing with that here as the, the child is outside in the rain. They're having a sexual encounter on their couch and all three of the remaining poor family. The Kim, are Kim family yeah. yeah, the Kim family are under the table. It is a incredibly threatening uh, sequence, even though there isn't a whole lot of threat to it. And they're under the table having, um, you know, all have additional inadequacy because of the fact that Mr. Kim was, or Mr. Park was just talking about how much, you know, he smells and that yeah. whole smell of old rags and, and you know. That, when you that, boil you know, a rag. When you yeah. boil a rag. Oh. Like, and, and, and you have uh, dad just lying there under the table, like with his uh, arm over his face, just kind of shamed. It's, it's really yeah. powerful. And that paired with like that sex scene, which is, it's, it's not about about passion or love at all it's it's about the two people just doing what they need to do to please to be pleased by the other it's very um do this just do this for me it's just like you know mm-hmm. it's a very selfish uh you know two-way <laughs> selfish I, i'd like you to continue moment. to describe it for us <laughs> but yeah that's <laughs> the end of that Woo, yeah. no it's <laughs> it's but it's just it plays really interestingly the way that yeah. that whole moment does as they're just laying there <laughs> with their son on the uh, in his teepee outside as an element though it's it's amazing in the way that it demonstrates how uh uh, just sort of social horror works, right? It's it's a great example as they try to sneak out, uh, you know, in the dark, and and they're dodging kind of the conversations and lights and flashlights and and uh, and trying to get in and out of this um, of the garage is um, it's just it's expert. I I wrote in my note, Bong Joon Hitchcock, like it just feels yeah. like such a wonderful uh, sort of homage because it just keeps amplifying right it goes it goes and that's what's crazy about this whole section of the film because it's such a big twist from the first half to the second half because the the first home housekeeper comes home and the whole reveal that her husband is in this bunker in the basement and then they get busted and now they're the i mean the the kim family gets busted uh for having kind of Put this whole thing together, and then they have to stop the the former housekeeper and her husband, 
And then all of a sudden the parks are coming home and this panic and then the hiding. And then it goes, they finally get out of the house and you think, Phew, okay, they can take a moment of respite here. But no, because it's raining a torrential <laughs> downpour outside and they they go down, 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 down all the way until they get to the bottom where they live. And it's flooding and it's sewage just just bursting out of the sewers everywhere. And it's just revolting as you watch what is happening here. It's just, it just keeps going and it doesn't give you a break until finally there it's, they have that moment uh, in the gym where they, they have to go find a kind of a, um, just protection from the elements uh, because their place has been uh, destroyed. Yeah. And uh, it's just, you know, that, that conversation that dad has with his son about, you know, never make plans ever make plans yeah yeah wow this just (laughs) went so downhill like you talk about down 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 the stairs uh you know not just the stairs the production design of the house but the stairs in general that journey home is extraordinary like the number the sheer number of stairs and the massive like maze of stairs that these people have they know so well, right? As they're watching the water come down past the feet, there's some wonderful close-up shots of Wu as he's, you know, looking down at his feet and watching the water rush down the stairs. But the interplay of wide shots to close-up shots around the architecture of stairs leading into these sort of slum areas, I thought was mesmerizing. I think it's just really beautiful. And and it all leads us to, like, back to the very first set of stairs that we see in the film, which is a, literally a set of stairs leading up to a toilet on a shelf in their apartment, <laughs> which is a very strange uh, but entirely believable element for me. It's it's such a strange way to live in this little semi-basement apartment of theirs. It's just everything is just gross. What do you what do you make of the resolution if any for the Park family? Because the way we leave it, the husband Mr. Park is dead, I think. Presumably Presumably I mean, dead. You could argue that you know uh, that Kevin was presumably dead too, but he uh, he turns out to not be dead. So it's I mean maybe Dad is alive as well. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder that because it, it just sort of moves on, and then we're back with the Kim family just as we were in the beginning, um, and uh, we don't we don't get a lot of payoff or lack thereof with the Park family, and and so I wonder where did does it matter. Yeah, well, I suppose not, because, I mean, largely this film is about the the, the Kim family. We're following them um, from the beginning. And uh, even when we get to their trial at the end, uh, there are no members of the Park family in the courtroom. It's just it's just um, mom and and son. Those are the only two. Um, uh, mom and Kevin are the only two there because sister is dead, uh, Jessica, and dad is uh, is. MIA. At this point, we don't know where he is, but, uh, you know, son is only alive. Kevin's alive because he, uh, I mean, he just had massive uh, brain injuries. And uh, um, so it's interesting. Wakes up laughing. Yeah. (laughs) Wakes up laughing. Almost at the absurdity at the whole thing, right? And so I I don't know if it matters. I think in some way, it's an interesting um, uh, way for Bong to talk about how, you know what, the, the rich, you know, they they always find their way out of these situations and and there's really nothing uh you know ju- they're just like any other rich family they're just going to everything will will be fine and they will uh, move on whether dad's dead or not 
Um, I, I want to talk about the the final, final moments of the film, right? We have Wu, who is, you know, we get this this lovely, I think, experience of Wu talking about in voiceover uh, as he's writing a, a letter to dad, uh, talking about his experience over, you know, as he, he decides he's going to make a lot of money, he's going to go to school, he's going to do everything he needs to do, he's going to get a great job, he's going to invent something, he's do do something grand, make a lot of money, and then he's going to buy the house because he has learned that dad is now in the bunker because of the Morse code, you know, that he's he's seen as he's watched the house. And, uh, and so the way Bong orchestrates this you actually believe that this is a happy ending to this this sort of <laughs> fable. And then it's very much not. It turns out it's a massive time compression at the end, and we come back and we discover that, that Wu is actually just writing a letter talking about what he's going to do, and that even though we've seen it all play out, uh, it, doesn't, it, it hasn't played out yet as the film ends. Uh, what'd that leave you feeling like at the end of the movie? I just thought it was brilliant. I mean, it, I think it was the perfect ending for this film. It doesn't leave it on that happy note where, oh, he's able to, you know, finally do all of this so that he can reunite with his father um, and and find uh, find his way to, you know, he's climbed this mountaintop to the, to the other side and he's now living the life of the rich. And uh, it was such an interesting fantasy, especially because they were talking about their fantasies earlier about how, you know, he was going to marry the girl and all this sort of stuff as they would kind of go through all that. Uh, here he is. It's All of this is just this fantasy, like this I- idea that he's painted in his head. And then it kind of fades to black with them um, happily reuniting in the backyard. And then the black tilts down and you see that he's just in the basement. And it's just, it's like, oh, that was perfect because it's like so many things in their life. Like he's spinning this story that he wants you to believe going back to that whole Ripley, uh, Ripley syndrome, you know, he's spinning this story, but it's just, it's never going to actually be anything that will happen. I've read some reviews of this film that said, I love the open-ended kind of nature of the end, right? That there is this, at least there is a sign of hope that maybe he will be able to do this. You know, whether you look at the film as, as one that is sort of an optimistic, uh, you know, climb out of the, out of destitution vibe, or if it's, you know, pessimistic. But I, I love this bit from Bong, who actually wrote the final closing uh, the first closing song uh, and it was performed actually by uh Wu um, and it it's called a glass of soju but the original title of the song was 564 years which represented quote the number of years Wu would have to work to be able to afford that house uh, as it plays out in his fantasy so if there was any confusion as to what Bong thought about how long it would take to free his dad from, for Wu to free his dad, let that be the answer. Uh, <laughs> his dad will be long dead and Wu is incapable of doing it. That's really depressing. That's it's, really but it's, depressing. And, but it really is like a 1% song, right? It's yeah. like, you know, you're going to have to, you're, you're going to have to figure out how to become one of the 1%. And yeah. let's just tell you, there's not really movement, you know, not into the movement. 1%. No. I suppose there could be some movement out of it as if people make fools of uh, the way that they're living and stuff. But moving into the 1% is a very tricky thing to do. Um, you want to talk a little bit about uh, getting a mate? 
I think that this is one of those stories that Bong had kind of been feeling around with for a while because of his, uh, you know, his passion for um, the the different the different worlds, right? Kind of the whole idea of the the wealthy versus the not. And I think it's something that he had uh, had an idea with, I want to say, um, around the time he was working on Snowpiercer, which makes sense because that film is largely about the same thing. I think it's funny, actually, you bring up Snowpiercer and him doing that because this movie sort of answers what happens when Snowpiercer stops. Like, like this is yeah. where the first stop might be at their house because <laughs> it's where they might live. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, Bong was actually, um, when he was young, he he tutored for rich families and it, it he essentially was woo, right? And and would go to the house and he would tutor and teach and and um, he, he talks about his experience of um, opening the the gates to a wealthy home on a hill, right? And and watching the way the sun kind of shines through the gates, and and um, uh, he said it's it's fascinating to me the way at home tutoring as an industry in South Korea in modern South Korea is the only context in which like truly wealthy and and poor get close enough to one another like get this close to one another as demonstrated in the film. This is it because every other, um, you know, opportunity for rich and poor to come together, it's usually some sort of consumer service. Like there'll be a counter in between you. Right. And so, um, but, but this is sitting down at a table, you have the poor sort of acting as a tutor in the homes of the wealthy. And that very much modeled his experience. Uh, the way he says it, I was fired after two months. So he didn't do very well <laughs> at it. Uh, but, but this movie is, is quite representative of, of his experience. And um, hence we have it. Well, and I, I heard also that a, there's a 1960 Korean film called The Housemaid that he uh, referenced and was influenced by as well, because that is a, a similar story, middle-class family yeah. stability, um, is threatened when a, a disruptive uh, housekeeper arrives and and uh, creates quite some conflict. So that's something. And then also there is a uh, relatively famous uh, murder of some employers by their maids that happened in France in the 30s. That was another source of inspiration. So uh, clearly he had some things in the world that he was referencing. Um, but I think it just, it strikes me as perfect that when he was making Snowpiercer is when he really had latched onto all of this. Yeah, it's funny, like that message at the end of the movie, you know, there's this whole like, Mr. Park, you have so much power, but here I have this knife in your chest. Like, <laughs> like you're, you have all this power, but you didn't have a knife. <laughs> so, right. like, what a horrifyingly realistic um, yep. <laughs> commentary. Uh, <laughs> Got to talk about this house, though. Mm, yes. What do you what think of house. this house? Well, I, it's just brilliant the way that uh, Bong Joon-ho designed it, because it was totally designed specifically for this film, but designed in such a way that he could get the shots that he wanted. And as we already talked about, have these dividing lines between people from the different classes, be able to see all the different people that he wanted to see. I, I And it feels very much like the Stark type of house that uh, you see a number of uh, really well, wealthy people living in, because it, it there's something about kind of that Stark design that speaks to uh, kind of the a wealthier feel. Yeah, it's like modern Asia meets Scandinavian chic, you know? Yeah, like, something, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's amazing. It was a it, totally fake 
house, uh, lots of ways to to demonstrate eavesdropping. Um, to hear him talk about it, uh, he says, you know, we've, I am my production designer, and I said, this is what I want for this house. And the production designer would take all of our notes and go meet with an architect. We had a, like a team of architects to help him like build a house. And the architects never fail would come back and say, what kind of idiot would have designed a house this way? So <laughs> I I remember like walking out of this movie thinking, God, this house is amazing. I would love to live there. And then I read these stories about how really it's it's a film that it's a house that exists bespoke for film. Like you would not want to live here. Um and because it's it, I think the realities of living in a house like this would be would be tricky. Um but fascinating. Especially if someone's living in the bunker in your basement. Yeah, right. And and apparently that's a thing, right? Especially yeah. for for houses, you know, along the parallel, um, that uh, these the wealthy individuals would put these giant bunkers underneath their homes to to protect them from an imminent North Korean attack, and um, and so you know you have these sort of um, kind of pretty recent artifacts of political cultural turmoil that that still exist and are still um still around so check your i mean if you're for our korean listeners you may want to start pushing on some bookshelves and checking checking your bunkers you may have a bunker buddy <laughs> well i just think it's really interesting because clearly it's a thing and it's not just a korean thing i mean obviously yeah it makes sense in context of how they describe it in this film but i mean we've talked about panic room we oh, know yeah. that there are people who just have these fears and they build these these protective places in case of situations that come up. And so I do find it interesting. And I, I think even going back into, um, you know, just certain mentalities in the world right now where you have uh, people who have their own, uh, you know, sort of safe places to go in case something happens. It's, uh, it's I, I feel like there is a mentality that leads to that. Well, of course there is, Andy, and we haven't even started talking about that hit Brendan Fraser vehicle blast from the past, Andy, that celebrates uh, the good uh, Brendan Fraser living 35 years in a bunker right in middle America after uh, fears of nuclear fallout. Brendan Fraser, <laughs> no, has not, Alicia has Silverstone. Not yes. Oh, I'm familiar. I've never seen it, but I'm Chris, familiar. Christopher Walken. Yeah. I watched that movie on my wedding night. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yep. Well, you should I know. admit that to people. No, it's out there now. Yeah. There is, is a, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Married 21 years this year. Somehow it has it continued started after with that. Last from the past. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I move away from the house for a minute and just talk about Ramdan? You can try. <laughs> yes, we need a whole Ramdan segment. Oh, Andy. I just have to say, this film got me uh, so fascinated with Ramdan, and then, and I don't, I should have found that link, but there's some chef who does YouTube videos yeah. about cooking and and did a whole thing, and we can find it and probably put it in the show notes. Who did a whole thing about making Ramdan, and he made it the way they do in the movie with that really really expensive cut of meat, which I, I found really interesting that that was another way to symbolize kind of the the division between the rich and the poor because yeah. Ramdan, or as they call the chapaghetti in the movie is basically a really cheap meal. It's chapaghetti and neoguri, two different, it's like a ramen and an udon mm -hmm. uh, noodle meals mixed together. 
and uh, and then they add this this cut of beef that is one of the most expensive cuts of beef that you can get um, into it. And so it's taking like this this cheap college type of food that you buy like 99 cents per pack with this really expensive meat and you mix it together, uh, or at least in the movie, they mix it together. Uh, and that was just another really interesting kind of uh, way to kind of show the the divisions between things and the the way that these worlds collide. Um, but I will say, while not using a cut of beef as expensive as the movie did, um, I, we did make this. Like, we we found that recipe video that the guy did on YouTube. And it is, like, one of our favorite things now. Like, making Ramadan is just so stinking good. And if it wasn't so spicy, I think that my wife and kids would probably eat it more often. We have to find, we have to make less spicy versions of it. But I just, I freaking love it. It's just, it's so good. And you can, if you can get the actual Chapaghetti and Neoguri, like the movie, uh, I we ordered them from Amazon, but you can also just buy different ramen and udon noodle packs from the store yep. and just mix those together. It's uh, it's really good. Just you can throw stuff in it. It just is a wonderful meal. The the video is binging with Babish Ramdas yes. from Parasite, yes, yes, where yes, he yes. talks about the bougie beef and and uh, um, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful video. First of all, you should really, really go watch it. But um, uh, we, it's in regular rotation in our house too. It is, it seems ridiculous that we come back from the <laughs> store with a bunch of ramen noodles and udon noodles and we make it, we make it with, uh, with uh, fish now too. We'll put some lovely, we'll get fresh shrimp and we'll, we'll put them on yeah. there and we'll clean them and like, we'll redress it up and do, um, uh, we'll do all kinds of fun things with it, but it's it is much more a noodle dish than a soup. So you think of ramen yes, as yes. kind of a cup of soup kind of thing. Uh, no, you're not using. You're using you know the highly you condensed boil that water broth. right off. Yeah, 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 right. And it it's really good. Um, it's super so, good. Yeah. Mm, glad you brought that up. Can't believe we forgot. Well, now I'm gonna have to make ramdan for lunch today. Where it's already on because you know we did the food rotation at our house, and my son's meal that he picked for that he's gonna make for us for this week is. Ramdan, Andy, this week. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. I need to get my kids doing that for me. They they eat ramen all the time. I will say this really did start a ramen love for them where they just, I mean, they'll make that as their go-to yeah. meal. So I just need to get the it's udon mixed food. in more often. Yeah, perfect. Is. Do, do we talk, want to talk about any of the cast a little bit? I know Song Kang Ho popped up quite a number of times in our Bong Joon-ho series. He's uh, one of our favorites. And I think we've actually been talking about maybe down the road doing a Song Kang Ho series because he's been in a lot of other great films, even outside of the work of Bong Joon-ho. He looks pretty beaten up in this movie. He looks like the, the years have had, have had their way with him. But Andy, he was born in 1968. Yeah. Right. That's not much <laughs> earlier than you and me. It's really not. I know. You know, he's just, uh, but I think that's the perfect thing for him. And, you know, I will say, I think, I think Bong Jun Ho likes using him in that way because I feel like his role here and his role in the host, I feel like that character feels very similar. <laughs> like yes. the, the really downtrodden, uh, you know, the parent. It just it yeah. feels very much the same. So. But I, in, I love in him. In fact, here. you kind of think this this movie could have been a prequel to the host, if anything. <laughs> right. Once well, he, he comes gets out of the out. bunker and goes and gets a shot. <laughs> yeah. That gets a monster attack. Um, yep. From yeah, one the guy just another. can't catch a break. Right. That's poor dad, and he's paired with rich dad, uh, played by uh, Sun Kyung Lee. Uh and uh AKA he's also, Nathan in the movie. <laughs> exactly. Uh and he was also uh uh, I, I think he's he's great to watch. I think their scenes in the car together are are some of my favorite. You know, there's so much subtext between these two, um, you know, spoken uh, not just out of like 
the sort of circumspection, but but reverence, right? Early in the film, when he's he's getting to know Kango, uh, he's getting to know kind of how his history and and you know he he's driven for all these years, and the car drives itself, and he's just watching him as he's make, executing turns without spilling his tea. Uh, those little <laughs> sequences between the two of them, I think, are really special. He plays that role uh, just spot on, perfect. Yeah. I think he clearly. Uh, is is having a lot of fun in it. Uh, it's great to watch. Uh, Ye Jin Jang as poor mom plays Chong mm. Suk, uh, and she's uh, she, <laughs> uh, she's great. She's a she's a sociopath straight up. Like she seems like she's she's just. I I struggle to think what it would take my family to turn into this family. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's a path of choices between here and there that would get us there because, you know, the universe is mysterious. But I just I wonder what what would it be? What would be the final act that would cause us to go, you know, completely Kim family? Yeah, you don't want to go that route. No, it wouldn't take you as long. I don't think I think you could go you go native much faster. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now that I, I know I how you feel you about I'm, art therapy. I, I didn't tell you where I'm living right now. Right. I'm actually <laughs> I'm in my own bunker. <laughs> I need some free Wi-Fi. That's right. Uh, and she is paired with uh, Yo Jong Jo as um, uh, she is rich mom. Yeah. I got yep. the whole rich dad, poor, poor dad. Yeah. <laughs> rich mom, poor mom. I don't know if she's um, named. She, they just always call her madam. They, yeah. She might be named. Yeah, uh, she's named she's, in the credits, but I don't recall her. She's credits, right? Yeah. Uh, and she, as you say, uh, aptly described her as a ding-dong. I, and and she's my favorite I, in the film. I yeah. think that her portrayal of of her character is just 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 this like panicky woman who is just always constantly trying to please her husband, trying to mm-hmm. put on an appearance, you know, horrified about, you know, her reactions when she's horrified, you know, when she finds things out and there's a little hand to the mouth and stuff. I mean, it's just, it plays so well throughout the film. She's just a, a delight. And she hasn't been in nearly as many things as some of these other people. Um, so a, a newer actress, but I just, I find her a delight to watch. She just really shines in the role. There is a certain innocence that comes with unearned wealth, and I think she demonstrates that with aplomb in this movie. Like, she's just so surprised around every corner and so naive and so just unaware. Um, and, and all of that, I think, comes with just marrying into, marrying into money and being taken care of. Yeah. Uh, so I, I find for her, I feel just such pity for her. Right. And where yeah. she, and what she's experiencing. Yeah. She just uh, it's, yeah. it's it's never she's never had to uh, work for anything. It just she yeah. feels like she's just kind of yeah, just, you know, just fitting in doing what she needs to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then we have the kids. And um, I, I think we've already talked about Wu Ki Wu uh, played yeah, by Wu Kevin. Jay, yeah. um, who, and, uh, who is also an Okja. He's he's uh, yep. another one who's worked with. Uh, Bong Joon-ho before, and he was in the fantastic movie that we both love a lot, uh, Train to Busan. Yes, yeah, and so he's been around. Uh, he's a he's a favorite. And then we have uh, the poor daughter, uh, Samdo Park, playing uh, Ki Jong, or Jessica. Uh, yeah, Jessica. And yeah. she is just sinister. When she turns on, uh, I can't remember what the line is now. If she really blah, um, she she could be a great con artist. 
it's almost like if she really put her mind to it, I'm like, yeah, well, she kind of, right. kind of she is. She kind of did. She's already there, right? That's right. that's exactly where she is. She's demonstrating how good she is, um, answering the phone as the help, as the the like placement service. Um, when she's whenever she's there as Jessica, and she is like in character, she's just diabolical. She's yeah. just wonderful. She plays it so well. Like she is yeah. so forceful with her character mm-hmm. that she's created of Jessica. Like the mom just can't, just totally like can't do anything. I, I yeah. just, I was like, wow, what a brilliant way to kind of create that character. I, I really enjoyed everything that she was doing in there. Uh, and then yeah. uh, Moon Guang uh, and uh, Gunsei, uh, first housekeeper and Bunker Man. I made up Bunker Man. That's mine. Kind of what he is. Yes. No, he's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These are uh, Jung and Lee and um, Myung Hoon Park. Uh, uh, play those roles, and they are—they've come just completely unglued by their time underground. I think, although she has done a great job over, when we first meet her, in particular, right, of just kind of dominating the scene. This is her palace, right? She she has more sort of dominion over this place than anybody. Yeah, yeah. The way that she's kind of, I, I feel that's what happens a lot with um, with watching uh, stories that deal with the help. You know, you have the one who kind yeah. of is like, they seem like they're really the ones who are kind of running everything, you know? And so she really does that. And that's what's so interesting is when she gets thrown out, uh, the way that she has to kind of, uh, you know, well, one, she's just, she comes to the, the, the call box and is just so desperate and it's pouring rain and she just is yeah. like it's amazing how her character was like just completely shifted there she's so desperate and pleading and in the basement when they're in the bunker like that and then she's also so pleading but man as soon as she catches them like as soon as they fall yeah. she is so smart and that's what's so interesting is she is the cunning one just like they are she's yeah. just as parasitic she pulls her phone out and starts filming right away so that she can um prove she has that way to kind of um kind of hold them now and uh, well and, and then we have the fight when we get her, you know, giving her speeches while riding astride her husband, and he is just sitting there looking at the phone with his finger hovering over the send button, threatening to send the video to the parks, and talking about how, oh, this is just like a launch code. It's amazing. (laughs) The power, like this is, these people haven't felt that kind of power in so long. And uh, I think it's, um, it's very, very cool. The way yeah, they uh, play it, that scene, yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting. The cast is so full of so many rich characters that that stand out to me. I mean, I think for me, the the standouts for me would be Song Kang Ho on one side. I think it would be um, the mom, uh, the Joe, rich mom or poor mom, rich mom Joe Yo Jung, the rich mom. And then I think the 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 two housekeeper or the housekeeper and her husband. Like I, I find yeah. those four characters just so. Well, I don't know. I don't know because then Kevin and and Jessica. Like I don't. They're, they're really. It's just. It's a solid, solid cast. There. It's an amazing cast. It really is, it is a great yeah. cast. Hong Kyung Pyo uh, is behind the camera uh, as much um, his as it is uh, Bong Joon Ho, um, activist sort of filmmaking um, and beautiful execution in incredible sets worked with uh with bong joon ho and snowpiercer mm-hmm. on mother uh i i think that may be it uh just just those two films and uh but has done a lot of other really great films like the wailing and uh burning so has done mm-hmm. some does has done some strong strong work you want to talk about the music 
the soundtrack, the music is just amazing. I it was really kind of disappointing to see that the music didn't get an Oscar nomination with so many others. It just it, I think that the music just worked so effectively throughout the film. It has this wonderful sense. It just it, I don't know. It just it worked really well for me. It it feels like a Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, with just a little bit less electronica. Like it's there's a lot of like um, of that sort of tonal repetition just for long stretches mm -hmm. that that makes it just it it really heightens tension um with very simple repeating patterns it's um it's lovely and, and scary and had also done the music on okja i don't have much of memory of that i don't score. either i i, I don't yeah. remember the score but uh obviously uh somebody that bong likes working with uh do we gonna are we gonna get a, a sequel you know, we are, theoretically. I know that there had been, um, it, it was in process with HBO doing a limited series, kind of like what they did with Watchmen. Adam McKay, of all people, started working with Bong as uh, executive producers on a limited series. Uh, it, it was an early development. I don't know if it completely kind of hit a wall because of COVID, if it's going to come back. I just don't know what the situation is right now. But it was going to be called Parasite. And according to uh, Bong Joon-ho, it was uh, going to take, uh, it was exploring stories that happen in between the sequences in the film. That's interesting. So it's, it is interesting. And it makes me think that, okay, so it is the same characters then. Yeah. So interesting. So is it just like sub-stories? Is it backstories? You know, I... I do, we, do we get it, to go with Mr. Park and see his fantastic inventions at work? Get a little bit of insight right. of what he does? Who knows exactly. what he does? Exactly. Maybe he was behind Okja. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that yeah, could be a it's, very it's interesting. I kind of hope it does. Like, I think that would be a really interesting way to approach this title. Um, and, I, yeah, and we I would can't... have a parasitic cinematic universe. <laughs> right. If they could find a way to tie this together with Okja and the host, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe maybe throw in, uh, you know, Mother also, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be an interesting uh, Bong Joon-ho cinematic universe that we could totally. create there. <laughs> <laughs> How to do it awards season. Hey, well, I mean, this is why we're doing this series. Uh, the Oscars, uh, this was a big one. Um, all in all, though, it did have 274 wins with 254 other nominations. So, uh, you know, it was a very well-received film. Uh, at the Oscars, as I said, I mean, it is why we're here. This is uh, when they named the, uh, they switched the uh, best foreign language film category to best international feature film. Um, but it did win in that category, beating Les Miserables, not the uh, Victor Hugo classic, but a, a different take by Lodge Lee. Corpus Christi, Honeyland, Pain and Glory. Really, really strong year of films. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad to see Parasite win. But, I mean, I would put almost all of those up up there as as very strong competition. Um, but at Best Picture, this was, you know, they they upped the number to a possible 10. I don't think they've ever hit it. This was nine films nominated for Best Picture. There was this, 1917, Ford v. Ferrari, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and The Irishman. And this film did uh, make history by becoming the first international film to win. Um, the best picture category, beating out all those other ones. And it was also, just as a side note, it was the first time since 1955 and the third time overall that a film that won best picture also had won the Palme d'Or at Cannes that year. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Bong Joon-ho won best director. He was actually the fourth Asian to be nominated and the second to win following Ang Lee. The screenplay won 
And it was the first time an international picture uh, won Best Screenplay since 2003's Talk to Her. And uh, production design, it was nominated but lost to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Best editing was nominated but lost to Ford v. Ferrari. Can I just say, I can't believe that production design loss. That's the one that of all of these, that's that's the one that hurts. It does hurt quite a bit. I mean, I get it. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did a really uh, spectacular recreation of that period in L.A. and the surrounding areas. Um, so I, I definitely get it, but I would also pick this and just really spectacular when you see what they did over at the SAG awards. This was this one for, um, the outstanding performance by cast in a motion picture, which is kind of their best picture. It was actually the first non-English film to win in the category, um, beating out bombshell once upon a time in Hollywood, Jojo Rabbit and the Irishman. And it was only the second time that a non-English language film had been nominated since life is beautiful. Bong Joon-ho handled himself much better at the Oscars, by the way. Oh, then. Roberto Benini. <laughs> Roberto Benini. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A little bit. No jumping on chairs. And then the last but not least, um, uh, at the Grand Bell Awards, which are South Korea's big film awards, it did win Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress, uh, Lee Jong Jong Un, and Best Screenplay and Best Music. And the other nominations, Song Kang Ho was nominated for Best Actor, but lost to Lee Byung Hun in Ashfall. Uh, Best Supporting Actor, Park Myung-hoon, lost to Jin Seong-kyu in Extreme Job. Best Cinematography, lost to The Battle, Roar to Victory. Best Editing, lost to Exit. Best Art Direction, lost to Forbidden Dream. And Best Lighting, which is an interesting category, lost to Ashfall. Ashfall, I'm I'm curious to check out some of these movies now. I don't know enough about them, but... uh, Does it feel like you didn't do all of your job? Because you watched all of these other movies in the Oscars, but you didn't watch every movie in the Golden Bell Awards. I, I didn't watch all of, all fill all. There were what it, it had two hundred seventy four wins, two hundred fifty four other nominations. I failed because I didn't watch all the other films that it was up yeah, against in every that's category. That's right. I feel like I fixed a do over. Got some work to do. Yeah, we got to do it again. We'll re- we'll re-record this episode in a few years after right. I <laughs> completed right. that. Uh, just so you know, though. Asphalt. This is asphalt. Stagnant since 1903, an elevation of 2,744 meters. A volcano erupts on the mythical and majestic Baekdu Mountain. There you go. A volcano movie. You know what that was? I have no idea what you're doing. That's what it would have sounded. Did you hear that? Yeah, it sounded very sleepy. It sounded like sleepy Korean. That's what Bong Joon-ho would have sounded like. Had he gotten up at the awards and said, I want to make love to all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully he wouldn't have sounded quite so sleepy when he said it, because it doesn't really get the message across. Have you ever seen him interviewed, Andy? Come on. (laughs) If there's anybody who is who personifies sleepy Korean, it's Bong (laughs) Joon-ho. He is very subdued. Yeah, right. I don't think he's quite that subdued. <laughs> How'd it do at the box office? Well, Bong's budget for his film was 20.5 billion won, which is uh, about $11.8 million. What? Tell me, tell me more about Bong's budget. <laughs> oh, shut it. <laughs> The film premiered at Cannes a few weeks before opening in South Korea on May 30th, 2019, where it did incredibly well, becoming one of the country's top five films of the year. It had its U.S. release October 11th, 2019, opposite The Addams Family, the animated version, Gemini Man, Jexy, and The Sky is Pink. It opened in spot 14 and only on three screens, but it had a ridiculously high per-screen average of almost $43,000. 
It was another slow burn at the box office. The film eventually hit spot seven right after the Oscars. It went on to earn $53.4 million domestically and $211.2 million internationally, including $71 million just from South Korea alone, giving it a total gross of $264.5 million and an adjusted profit per finished minute of $1.9 million. In context of the whole film series, this film had the highest gross of them all, though Life is Beautiful beats it when adjusted in today's dollars. Still, this film's profit-to-cost ratio is the highest, so at least we have that. One last thing is a point of interest, though. While this film has the highest gross in this series, it is not the highest grossing foreign language film. In fact, it comes in spot 23 on that list. The vast majority are from China, with the number one highest grossing non-English language film to be Wolf Warrior 2. Certainly something we need to add to our list at some point. Absolutely. In fact, in the top 25, only seven films aren't from China or Hong Kong, and only one is from the U.S. Do you have any guesses as to what that one film could be? Wait, have we talked about it? We haven't. It's a U.S.-made film that is in a foreign language. Uh, the only one now that I can think of is... is Think Mel Gibson. Uh, Apocalypto? <laughs> Before that, this led him to Apocalypto. J- J- the Christ? Jesus the, the Christ? the passion of the Christ. The passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. I didn't hear you. <laughs> yes. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I was a big fan. Big fan. That's a tough one. That's it is a tough, a tough watch, but it is on this list. It is actually number four. Wow. Largely number in Aramaic, four. Latin, and Hebrew. That's right. That's right. There it is. Fascinating. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, I'm glad we got this movie on here. I can't, like, I hear you say those numbers, and then you say it opened opposite uh, Gemini Man, <laughs> which in my head still hasn't actually opened. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's, and it's funny because that's an Ang Lee film and it's, you know, we, yeah. we didn't, uh, it just, I don't know. I feel like Ang Lee's turn in his career was kind of a strange one. Although, but did you see I, it? Did no, you see it? No, but that's the thing. See, that's like, the I thing. need to go watch his movies now. Yes. I need to check them out. And just so I can say, did he fall off the wagon or have I just kind of stopped watching his stuff for some reason? But, yep. Uh, I don't know. That's right. Curious. Yeah. All right. I, I'm so glad that we talked about this movie. I can't believe it only came out in October of last year um, because that feels like it feels like this movie has been I've I've watched it seven or eight times, like just since I've owned it uh, for because I enjoy showing it to people who haven't seen it. Uh, and so uh, I'm I'm thrilled that we finally have it on our list. And now we actually it's a film that is very fun to talk about. Like there's so much stuff going on. This is the sort of movie that would actually make a good movies by minute show, because I feel like every minute there is just so much juicy content. Parasite by minute. Mm -hmm. I almost regret that you said that out loud. (laughs) Let's uh, why don't we take it to the mat? Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this show. If you swipe over in your show notes and you tap the word flickchart, it'll take you over to this film in the flickchart catalog where you can add it to your list and see how it stands up against ours. First up, Parasite or Il Postino, the postman. Parasite. Parasite. Parasite or Time Crimes. Parasite. Parasite. Parasite or Up in the Air. Parasite. Parasite. Parasite or Children of Men. Parasite. Man, we're getting tough here, though. <sighs> children of Men. Parasite. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm going to say mm-hmm. Parasite, but mm-hmm. this is a real tough one here. And and it makes me disappointed that uh, Children of Men did not get more 
And more notice on its release. Parasite or Casablanca? Ah, uh, is it time, Andy? I don't know. <laughs> it's Casablanca. I know. Uh, yeah. Casablanca, I'm going to say Casablanca. Casablanca did have a lot of stairs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I might. Oh, man. I can't, I can't. It's been too long. It's been too many years. Yeah, I'm saying Casablanca. It's a tough just, one, though. I mean, I really the principle hit a point of the there. thing. Maybe just on principle. Let's just let's let fate decide. Let's let fate, who is holding my rock paper scissors, oh my, in its hands, wow, loosely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's just see what happens. All right, okay, here, we, here go. we go. One, two, two three, three scissors. Paper. Okay, well that was you could have predicted that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Parasite oh. or Inception. I'll give this one to Parasite. I will too. Parasite or Touch of Evil. Parasite. Ooh, wow. I'm going to say Touch of Evil. All right. Here we go. Mm -hmm. One, two, two three. three. Rock. Scissors. I crush you. <laughs> was that a scholar's rock that just it crushed It was a scholar's <laughs> rock in the noggin. Yeah. Parasite or Mad Max Fury Road. <gasps> Well, it's, I'm I'm a little bit cursed because I just watched Mad Max on the big screen and it was so beautiful. Yeah, I think I might go Parasite. I I am having such a hard time with all of these. I'm going to say Mad Max Fury Road, but I am likely wrong. I I don't know that there's I I don't know that there's wrong. Let's do it again. Okay, one, one two, two, three, scissors, rock. scissors. <laughs> okay. I haven't learned my lesson. I was Parasite. just going to say, I think I just decoded. I decoded what yes, I was like six weeks of you saying only scissors and me being confused about why I keep losing. Well, that puts Parasite in spot 16 on our chart. 16 out of 470 films. That leaves it pretty high. It's at a 97%. Oh, Andy. So if you had such a hard time just doing it against our 400 films, how'd you do on your own list out of 4 million? It was tough. Weirdly, it landed at 97% as well for me. Really? So I must uh, feel like it ends up just in this spot very perfectly. 97%, it's uh, 114 out of 4,479. So. Uh, mine came in higher than yours. Uh, mine came in at 19 out of 1467. That's a 99%. Uh, and uh, just out of curiosity, like it, it, it's below Jaws. Like, that's the next one on the list. Mm. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it's great. I feel really good about that. And it makes it, if I go by the algorithm, predictably, for letterbox.com slash the next reel, it should be a five-star film. And it is a five-star film with a heart. Absolutely. Five stars and a heart for me, too. Yeah. Completely. Yep. So, that did it, Andy. This was an epic series. And yeah, it had such films, weight and gravitas. Ten films for this particular series, and uh, we had done the uh, the eleventh one uh, back as a listener's choice way back, and yeah. so now we've covered all eleven of these. And I have to say, it was a real thrill to kind of look at these and to see the interesting shift in the way that um, that voters in the Academy kind of think about international films when are they going to get in as a best picture nomination not just uh, an, a foreign language film 
nomination. And uh, and then now, 2019, when are they going to finally win? And to you know, kind of hit this uh, point with this film, and you see the culmination of of where all of this started back in 1937, before they even had the category. It's been a really interesting journey. And um, I, I mean, as you know, somebody who has watched all the films nominated. <laughs> In those years for Best Picture and Best Foreign Language Film, um, it's really interesting to kind of kind of look at the just kind of what films were up and kind of the mentalities and, and the way that kind of the zeitgeist was really influencing that. So it was a really fascinating journey. I'm glad that we had this as a series. I, I think it was a really um, a fun one to go on. Well, I'm glad you had the opportunity to do that. And I'm glad I got to watch you do it <laughs> from a safe distance. Well, I'll tell you, there are some real bad films that got dominated that I was just, it was painful to watch. So, yeah. um, but for the most part, I uh, had a really good time looking at them. Well, I think it's safe to say that we're not going to have that problem with our next series. <laughs> no, <laughs> we are jumping into, uh, you know, Jaws, we've talked about before. And I yeah. think. Uh, otherwise, it would have been kind of the defining point of this particular series. But um, I, there are so many that that fit in. And so it's a fun one because we're doing aquatic killers. <laughs> this is going to be a fun one to finish out our October and kind of feel the kind of the, the remains of kind of horror, the horror movie month that so many people uh, like it to be. And then just kind of. Uh, ride that for a little bit. So we're going to be watching six uh, different movies about six different types of animals that are killing in the deep. I, I have only one regret about it, and that is that the name of the series ended up as Aquatic Killers because there were too many that too many different aquatic killers that we wanted to capture because our original plan had the title Crikey, Crocs and Snakes. <laughs> Exclamation point. And I think that is a delightful series title. And I, I just, I miss it. To to just clarify, that was a very specific series that was going to be reviewing all the films of the Lake Placid and Anaconda franchises. <laughs> which, I'm going to tell you, I like these personal challenges for these different things. And as part of our Aquatic Killers uh, series that we're doing here, I'm really hoping to go through all of the Lake Placid and Anaconda oh, films. <laughs> <laughs> while we go through this series. So, uh, yeah, it will be an interesting exploration. I probably won't watch them until after I have seen the first films again. Um, but once I do, we we'll start ready. plowing through the other eight. <laughs> I may I regret the choices. But, uh, <laughs> when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon always doeth. Well, it does for you, but I went with the kids again because I just <laughs> love right. kids. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Who talks um, first? Well, you, you go at this time. All right. I think All I right. went first last time. I, I do have a five-star, even though I have a five-star. There are no one-star reviews by the kids. The kids, the kids love bong. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of getting a one-star movie, I went with a, the youngest review that I could find. Mm, okay. And that is an 11-year-old who says, five stars, another hit by the master Bong Joon-ho. 
This movie, like many others by Bong Joon-ho, is a satire and gets a little tense at times, but it is generally all right. The topic is a little sensitive, the poor being portrayed as somewhat of a parasite to the rich, but I think most above 13 can handle it. The thing that I love about Bong is that he takes his movies from a different perspective. When you go see a movie in a theater, it will probably be Star Wars or Marvel or Pixar slash Disney, but you will almost never get a satire this great in Hollywood. The closest thing to this movie is Jojo Rabbit, which is also a dark comedy. The script is excellent, and so is the acting. Definitely deserved the best picture. Highly recommended. Hmm. 11 years old, Andy? I eat my hat. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I, I should have read this 13-year-old who says, Parasite, the best picture-winning film. First off, this isn't an average film. It's in Japanese. I think it's in Japanese. I'm not sure. That sounds right. That sounds sounds, sounds better. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, I've got a one star by Birdie over on Amazon who says, makes you grateful for explosive diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) This this has got to be the worst film ever made by anyone on any subject, except that there is no subject. The only imaginable use for this complete waste of other people's resources and your time would be the as the feature film on Welcoming Night at the Suicide Prevention Center. Because whatever the hell is the matter with you, it isn't this. What? Birdie's review is very all over the place. And uh, as Sheila points out in the comments, this doesn't even make sense. And then uh, T. Hitchcock says, what the the heck are you referring to here? And then Jan Kuntz said, you had me at explosive diarrhea. What? Yeah. But then Needle Guy, I'd rather projectile explosive diarrhea all over the floor than try to sit through this news fest again. Terrible movie, so. What is everybody doing with explosive body functions? That, I am very curious about. I'm not sure what Birdie is referring to, but apparently uh, Birdie found it grateful, uh, made Birdie grateful for explosive diarrhea. I don't care. So there you go. There you go. No. Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. 